Welcome to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. You deserve complete financial advice. There's no acceptable alternative if you want to plan to live well and on your terms. Complete financial advice equals complete peace of mind. Now, let's get into this week's podcast episode. Hello and welcome to Retire Right with Larry Heller from Heller Wealth Management. Good morning, Larry. How are you? I'm doing terrific, Eric. How are you? I am fantastic. I just it's it is beginning to be winter, and I'm I'm, I'm working on not complaining about how cold it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you live in Nebraska, so <laughs> what? I know, but still, <laughs> I, yeah, it's a it's a barren plain of frozen tundra here soon, unfortunately. Oh my goodness! Uh, but we didn't come here to talk about the weather. We came here to talk with a special guest. You have brought David Perry in. And I'm gonna. You've given me the honor of reading his bio. So David Perry began his career in real estate in 1987, working in finance and commercial leasing for Olympia and York, the largest New York City developer at the time. In 1998, he was part of the team that sold the Woolworth Building. For 11 years, he was director of sales and executive for the Claret Group, one of the city's largest residential developers. In those 11 years, he sold over a billion dollars of residential real estate and leased more than 1,000 apartments. That's, that's huge. David was the co-chair for the Real Estate Board of New York's Downtown Residential Division from 2005 to 2010. David Perry, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Larry, thank you so much for bringing him on the show. And that leads me to the question, what are you guys talking about today? So we're actually going to talk a little bit about kind of a, uh, a little bit of a specialty that David does. And we're going to talk about selling your home while going through a divorce. Mm. So why don't we jump right in, David? Why don't you tell us how you got started working with couples going through a divorce? Oh, it's very interesting. I, uh, after that bio, I, the bio ends in 2010, I started working at Brown Harris Stevens and sold out a luxury building there where the average price was $8 million. And then the next year, randomly, two thirds of my business was divorce related. And I found out through a colleague that you can get a certification in divorce. And I looked into it and there were only a handful of people that did it in New York City that had this certification, only two people out of the entire city. So I thought I'd look into it. Uh, it wasn't that difficult to get. I read a couple of books. I watched a couple of hours of video, became a certified real estate divorce specialist. And that allowed me to speak in front of other divorce professionals. One of which, uh, that comes to mind is the ADFP, the Association of Divorce Financial Planners. And I became pretty active in that group. And then, uh, a few years later, about three years ago, uh, another group out of Florida, the National Association of Divorce Professionals, reached out to me and said they wanted to start a New York chapter. And would I be interested in becoming involved with starting that in New York City? They had about 13 chapters down in Florida and they wanted to expand. We opened the first chapter to great success here in the city, and now there are about five chapters of divorce professionals here in the city that have a variety of different professions in it from mediators, divorce attorneys, mental health professionals, private investigators, uh, and financial planners like yourself that 
specialize in divorce. And through, those, through that hardcore networking, now two-thirds of my business year after year is divorce-related. And I would say this year it's probably close to 60% of my business uh, where I have uh, been helping couples figuring out what to do with their home. And uh, I then recently, just this year, have a new designation as a certified divorce specialist, which I received through the NADP. They offer a great program of training. Uh, and I would recommend that for, it doesn't matter what profession you're in, whether it's real estate or, or finance. No, it, it, interesting. So, and you said that started, how long ago did you start working in that group? Uh, probably 2013 was when I really started focusing on divorce as a specialty, as a niche business, hmm. uh, through networking mostly and speaking in front of uh, other divorce professionals about the real estate aspect of divorce and my experience with working with divorce couples and the different lessons learned and the things that people need to consider when they're thinking about getting divorced and uh, things that you don't really pick up in a book until you've actually gone down that road and worked with a couple that is not getting along at all or don't want to talk to each other at all or the only time they do talk to each other is when you're on the phone with them talking about their real estate deal and, and you get some some uh, high conflict situations there and part of that training that I went through trained me for these high conflict situations and communications so it was very valuable hmm. so how does your role different when going working with couples going through a divorce rather than working with other individuals oh yeah that uh, you know usually when you're working with a couple that's selling their home you can call one of them up and say hey i'm going to show your apartment on this day and this is what happened and and you can provide a report to one of the two people that are a couple uh, when you're working with a with a divorcing couple, you really need to make sure that you're communicating to both of them because they both own the asset, even though they don't want to talk to each other. So because you provide the information to one, you can't think that they're going to communicate the information to the other. And you have to do it with both of them together. And that's the not only the most efficient way, but it's the the easiest way that, uh, you know, that, that game telephone tag where somebody says something and then they hear something else. I actually have a great example of that. I was uh, working with a divorced couple and they were, oh, one person was living in the apartment and the other person was on the other side of the country. And I'd show the apartment and as I was walking out, one person walked in and I said, hi, how are you? And the showing went great. And I, I think we're gonna get an offer on this apartment. It's, it's great. And then I went downstairs, I hopped on the subway and I was going to write an email about the appointment uh, to both parties, but before I could get out of the subway, my phone was lit up and the other person that had moved out of the house, uh, who I didn't see, was very upset and said, my spouse is not capable of negotiating this apartment on their own. How dare you accept a deal without me? And uh, I thought you agreed that we were gonna, you were gonna communicate everything with both of us all the time. So the lesson learned is as soon as you have that conversation with somebody, even if it's just a hello, you have to document that with a text or an email immediately in order to 
to, to cover yourself so that you're not caught in an, even though it wasn't an embarrassing situation, I was able to calm the person down and say, hey, wait, hold on a second. There wasn't a deal on the table. This is exactly what happened. And we were able to move forward past that. But, uh, you know, it's that experience of thinking that, oh, I'll just wait 20 minutes till I get out of the subway to send an email. No, you can't do that. You have to do mm. it immediately without any hesitation. Yeah. So like the role with a mediator, I work with both spouses. Uh, and un unlike a divorce attorney that only works with one, I have to make sure I keep both of their interests in mind. Um, in most cases, I'm working with them directly uh, only occasionally will I work with a judge who says you have to sell this home and you don't really have to deal with them, but deal with the attorney that's working on it. But that's a different situation altogether. So how do you how do you work with both spouses, especially now if their apartment's going to be up for sale and they have a different vision or a disagreement on what they think they should be sold at or if an offer comes in and one wants to take it and the other one doesn't how, how do you how do you kind of work with them on that oh that's a really good question larry they you know you have to think about all of these questions before you start showing the apartment so that you cover all of these contingencies so that you can refer to a document before you come up with an issue and if you include all of these things uh, in the document, then you can refer to it and it helps. There still will be, there doesn't prevent people from, from creating problems down the road, but if they've agreed that they've signed a document, at least you can point to the, the document and say, hey, you remember you agreed to this. So you have to put everything in there from when you can show, uh, what times you can show, what price you're willing to accept, what price you're going to list at, and if it's within a certain range, you'll be willing to move forward on it without a without a further sign off on it until you get to the contract do you do this afterwards or is this part of the the divorce agreement from those listeners who, who don't know so i've got, been through a divorce and my actual agreement had that type of language in this agreement uh so do you get involved before the agreement is done or usually they come to you after the agreement and you're now have to go back to them and get them to do a separate agreement yes that's a, well sometimes it's before and sometimes it's after unfortunately it's easier when it's before because when it's before you can work with the attorneys to make sure that the language is drafted correctly and Typically, when I'm brought in, I will then find out who each of the divorce attorneys are or the mediator is and make sure that they're including all the language that that they probably will think of. But it's always good to have, you know, to have another set of eyes or another professional that does this all day long to say, don't forget these 10 points that you need to include in this document and most of them will they'll have but maybe one or two that they won't have thought of before uh including you know fixing up the home before uh you know it's shown and that they agree to pay for that and who pays for it and that they're going to allow contractors in to do this and uh that they're, they're going to work with uh, a, a co-op building in new york city to get the approvals necessary to get these uh things done so that it can be shown 
on these specific days and times. And I usually block off uh, times in the afternoon during the week and on a Sunday when most of the open houses are and say that this is the time that we're going to show this place every single Sunday. And there might be Sundays that I won't agree to do it. So when I do get a request for an appointment, I know I can push people to a window of time that will work for, for everybody. So do you get referrals or get attorneys sending you before they do the agreement? Or a lot of times you're doing, doing this after their divorce agreement is in place and, and you're working and trying to come up with the agreement for the, for the divorcing couple? Most of the time it's before. Uh, and a lot of now attorneys know who I am uh, and I'll get put on a list. Um, and it's funny, the last deal that I was referred to, um, I was working with a mediator and the mediator called me and said, hey, can you come take a look at this home? They wanna figure out what it's worth and they're thinking about getting divorced. Uh, can you go in and provide an estimate? So I went and did that. And then uh, this runway is usually like two years long before the, the place actually sells. Then uh, they this couple didn't want to go through mediation anymore, and they decided to go and hire attorneys and go through litigation. Um, each of the attorneys on the case had referred me separately, they put the, my name was on both of the lists. So it was just randomly that both attorneys knew about me. And it's a $20 million deal on the Upper West Side. So uh, it's a significant um, apartment that will be sold as a result of a divorce. And um, it's, it's going to be best covered because it's all done before they're actually getting divorced through this, this uh, lengthy agreement process. And we're still, it's probably another year away from being listed So how can couples going through divorce come better prepared so that you can help them? Well, they should look for a few specific things in their, in their document that uh, will help them through the process. If they want to sell the home, there's, there, you know, it, sometimes both spouses don't want to sell the home. And that's where there, there could be a problem. But if they're both looking to sell the home, then they should have a clear, uh, clear language in the document that spells out step-by-step uh, step who will be responsible for fixing up the place and getting it ready to be sold. Uh, specific times when you'll allow showings that are convenient for your schedule. And maybe you have small children that have a, a napping schedule. And in today's time, uh, here in the city, there are a lot of students that are working from home and we can't show apartments while they're in school because that would be too disruptive. So there are specific times either after school or during their school break or uh, on the weekends that we can show. And then an agreement of what the list price should be, what an acceptable price uh should be that if they get an offer, something close to that, that they'll be willing to accept. And then third, if it doesn't sell in X amount of time, 60 days, say, uh, they agree to a price reduction equivalent to either 10% or whatever uh, is appropriate for that specific property in order to get some more movement so they're not stuck with something for uh, that's on the market for more than, you know, 
a year or something like that. Yeah, so I, I guess spelling all that out alleviates a lot of arguments and disagreements as you're going through this process. So the more that you can make it clear, I guess it makes it easier for everybody, correct? Right. And what they, you know, exactly. And what uh, you should also spell out things like, you know, how do you deal with offers that are below the asking price and who's going to pay the mortgage and maintenance uh, until the home is sold? And, you know, all these little detailed things that, you know, you you don't think of because you're living your life and you're also maybe in, I mean, I was going through this too. I went through a divorce and you go through this divorce brain, which is not, which is very different from your normal brain. You know, your normal brain, you're very smart and coherent and divorce brain is not always that case. Uh, and it, it really does pay to hire uh, professionals or have other people help that are, that know these specific details that can help you through this process. I, I like that, the divorce brain versus the normal brain. So uh, it, <clears throat> that definitely is true. So the New York City real estate market um, has taken a hit due to COVID. Uh, does that have an impact on how you advise clients going through a divorce? You know, every case is different. Uh, I find that each individual has a different story about where they are, what they can do. And it depends on a lot of different factors. Specifically, if you have a lot of money, you maybe you have more than one home. And one home is here in Manhattan and another home is in the Hamptons or upstate or in Connecticut or Arizona or uh, Austin, Texas or California. And, you know, you're, you pick up you can pick up your family and live in two different homes. And in those cases, if you have a lot of money, it's a lot easier. It's also easier to find another home and that's nearby. Uh, if you don't have money and you're cohabitating together during this difficult time, it becomes a little bit more difficult. Or if one person needs to get out of the apartment immediately through an abuse situation and needs to find a rental, you try and deal with each of those cases individually. But uh, I try and deal with each of these cases um, and try and find out what each of their needs are and their capabilities are to solve these needs and adapt to that situation. Um, all, all great things to think about. Um, just switching gears for a little bit, not really more about divorce, but uh, why don't you give our listening audience, what, what are your thoughts about the New York City real estate market now? Um, are you finding that there are a lot of bargains out there? If so, is it a certain price range? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, there's some, you know, it changes, it changes weekly. You know, it goes, we will take a step back for a second and talk about the market in order to talk about where we are today on November 13th, 2020 is a lot different from just a few weeks ago and, uh, and different from a few weeks before that. And I imagine it's going to be different, you know, once December hits and once Thanksgiving hits and, you know, the new year hits. Typically, New York is a very cyclical market. It gets busier in the spring and uh, slows down between July and the end of the summer and then picks up a little bit uh, right when school starts and then slows down during the Jewish holidays and then picks up a little bit uh, right before Thanksgiving and then slows down until the end of the year and then picks up from January and then slowly picks up until the spring. And that would be a typical year. 
now that we understand that cycle, let's take a step back even further and look at the macro picture and go back to 2011. It was the last big downturn, uh, started in 2008, and I had about 26 apartments for sale, and they were all very similar in a, in a new development, and I saw the market going down daily and was doing deals uh, month by month on the same type of apartment and willing to accept 5% less, 3% less on each uh, deal going forward, knowing that I needed to get rid of this inventory because it was going to last a long time. Um, by 2011, that was the bottom of the market. So it took about three years for that market to decline. It then went up quickly to 2015. Uh, it raised quite a bit and plateaued in October of that year, uh, right around election time. And there were th things happening in Russia and uh, things happening politically that caused people to pause. Uh, and I think also prices had run up beyond what they should have. Uh, they started to pull back. And that brings us to late 2019, where we were at about 2013 pricing. Apartments that sold in 2015 were being sold for, um, uh, were sold at the peak. Apartments that were sold in 2013 were getting the same prices as 2019. And uh, I had a deal for a $4 million apartment, and we bid uh, 3.5 for it. It sold for 3.6, and that was the same price of that, that same apartment in the same exact condition um, at that time in 2013. And we were about a week away from signing the contract when uh, I told my buyer that, you know, this is thing, it's happening in China, we know about it, it's COVID. Maybe we should wait two weeks to sign the contract, and I advised that client to hold off on, on signing. And uh, a week later, their kids' private school closed, and they moved out to the Hamptons, and they were very happy they didn't pull the trigger on that contract. Now, yes, I missed a $4 million deal, but that client was still is very happy uh, and will recommend me, and I'll get, I'm sure I'll get more business out of it because of that. But uh, it was a very difficult time to say, hey, let's just hold off and wait a couple of weeks. And that couple of weeks is now six months. She hasn't bought anything yet, and you know, maybe she never will. But that was the important thing to do, is to wait at that time. Now we come to today, but before we get there, we, we experienced this shutdown where we couldn't show apartments in Manhattan. We couldn't get into buildings. It wasn't like you're in the suburbs where you could just open a door and say, hey, go, go look at the home. Uh, the suburbs of New York City, New Jersey, Connecticut, Westchester were all very busy, as well as the Hamptons. Florida was very busy. California was very busy. Southern California was hopping. Arizona was hopping. Uh, everywhere but Manhattan, uh, it seemed to have record prices. People moved out of the city in that summer between April and August. Over 420,000 address changes uh, went through the post office. 60% of those people left Manhattan and went somewhere else in New York State. 40% left the state completely. We couldn't show apartments, but doormen weren't allowing people into the buildings uh, until June, July, August, depending on the building. Now we can get in to these buildings with there's a lot of restrictions. You have to wear a mask, of course. You have to make an appointment. You can't have an open house. You need to clear the appointment through the co-op board sometimes. Some, some buildings don't, don't allow showings at all. Some buildings have just allowed showings to happen. 
I, th I think most of the buildings now are open, but there are buildings that only allow one appointment at a time. So if there's more than one apartment in the building that is available, that's a similar apartment, they won't allow back-to-back -back appointments. So that, that person who's going to see that apartment will go see that apartment, and then they won't be able to see yours unless you're that uh, for two hours later. They're, they're, they haven't really thought about all these rules clearly, and these co-op boards are sometimes very strange. Um, but the market now is it's sporadic. Deals are happening. Demand is definitely picked up. There was a uh, inventory came back on the market pretty quickly once we were allowed to show again. We went from as low as a 5,000 apartment inventory when we were shut down to 9,500 apartment inventory uh, today. And there's been a slight pullback. We almost hit 10,000 apartments on the inventory. And if we hit 10,000 apartments on inventory, that would, over 10,000, I believe that we would have to pull back on prices a little bit more. Uh, I see that we're now at like 2011 pricing today if I was to price something, but it's really an art form and, you, and, and we're talking in generalizations here. There might be a $20 million home that's probably worth $17 million, uh, which is more than 10% off, but you're not going to provide that same discount for a $1 million home. Uh, most of the deals that are happening today are in condos uh, in the luxury level. And luxury we consider above four million. I'd say eighty to ninety percent of the deals are condos or townhouses above four million, and then uh, below three million, it's been very active, and below two million has been the most active. And their prices are not as uh, elastic. They're they they're still demand. The home has to be in great shape. The better shape it is, uh, the more likely that it'll get sold quickly. If it needs a lot of work, people are concerned that buildings will only allow one contractor in the building at a time, and they might not be able to get the work done. So they'll be able, they'll buy this asset, and then it'll sit for six months while they're waiting in line for other renovations to take place. So those are the major considerations that are all COVID-related right now when you're thinking about sales. So I do see on a week-to-week -week basis that demand is definitely a lot more than it was a few weeks ago. I have a bunch of showings today and a bunch of showings tomorrow, and uh, Sunday is packed, and I'm seeing a lot of buyers out there. I'm seeing a handful of deals. I'm seeing about maybe 60% of the deals that we would normally have at this time period based on last year's numbers. And uh, I think that that will continue until people start working in New York City again. A lot of the people that had left where the one studio and one bedroom renters, there's no demand at all for those apartments because there's no young people coming to the city now. There's no new jobs for them and they're not coming here to, to go to school. They're not coming in for internships. Uh, next summer will be pretty slow. And I see this continuing until probably 2023 with each year the market getting a little softer and a little softer price-wise until we start seeing good news. And maybe, Larry, it's a question for you is, when do you see GDP coming back? Because when that comes back, I see the real estate market starting to rise again. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously we're going through a second wave right now, and how much of that is gonna impact GDP? Well, who, who knows? I mean, we, we got some great news because of the vaccine. 
that propped up the stock market a lot in that one day, especially with mm-hmm. a lot of value stocks. But I think we're still we're still a ways away. Uh, this vaccine's not going to be available as quickly as they I think they're saying, and I think a lot of people aren't going to run out and get the vaccine. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm not running out and getting it so quickly too. So mm-hmm. I, I I I think we're at least into 2022 before we can see some before we can see some interest on there. Although I did read this morning, the owner of the um, Golden State Warriors is willing to spend $30 million and they have these new rapid PCR tests that mm-hmm. uh, they're going to give that get results in 15 minutes and they're going to test everybody and allow 50%. They want to get California to agree to this and allow 50% attendance if you come pass the mm. test 15 minutes later and go in. So that could be that could be another That's interesting. interesting yeah, how that works. I saw Ticketmaster is going to do something like that too, where you once you get uh, once you have a, an approved test, then you can buy a ticket, and then you'll yeah, get so tested again, I guess, at the stadium or whatever. So I think it's going to be a, a, a slow, and of course we've got a new president coming in, so so I I think it's going to be a little bit slower than than some people are hope are hoping for maybe not 2023 mm. but 2022 so uh, yeah. we we will we will see well i think if there's a vaccine or something like that then uh, you asked me a question about uh would i take the vaccine i think i would have yeah. to find out what the science is behind it and how what is the vaccine doing exactly yeah and, and i don't think they're going to know the side effects for a while so um, mm-hmm. if any so we uh it's going to be interesting to see what happens with with that, and and do they make it mandatory, uh, especially with with children, school. So uh, there's still a lot of unknown unknowns in that. Before I think we're going to see uh, an improvement. Before we wrap up, David, is there anything um, going back to divorce and real estate that you wanted to to add? We covered a lot. Of, we covered a lot of ground. Yeah, there. we covered a lot. You know, I think it, it's important before you. You know, pull a trigger on and what you think is uh, the right decision. You should ask a professional. Just to provide another quick story, I had a client that was going through a divorce and was uh, paying the mortgage and maintenance herself while her husband had left the apartment, uh, even though he was the money, you know, equally moneyed spouse, and. She didn't want to be stuck paying the mortgage and maintenance, but she was just doing it because she was living there. And she's like, I don't want to be stuck with this, so I'm just going to leave the apartment. And she left the apartment and found a rental and then petitioned the judge saying, listen, no, I'm not using this apartment. I found another place. We both own it. We should both split the cost of it. And the judge was like, no, you're still covering it. So you think that just because you think it makes sense in your mind, it might not make sense in, in... in the divorce world mind, and you might get stuck with a, an expense that you're not prepared to handle. Um, so, you know, working with somebody that knows what they're doing um, would be my recommendation. And then if you are not in New York City and you still want to find the right broker to help you, uh, you can reach out to me and I'll help you find the right person to help sell your house. And I can even train that broker, uh, coach them, through the process of what they need to consider when they're listing their, your home and selling it. Because I, I know this podcast may reach further than the tri-state area. 
So I'd be happy to help them find the right broker uh, if they're going through this tough time. Great. Appreciate that. All great information. Uh, thank you, David, for coming on to the podcast today. And if you'd like to reach out to David, you can find him at BHSUSA, Brown Harris Stevens USA.com, or call mm -hmm. his office at 212-588-5697. Is it okay if I leave my cell phone number? That's up to you. Absolutely. 917-496-5081. And my email address is dperry, P-E-R-R-Y, at bhsusa.com. Larry and David, this has been a fantastic podcast. So much information and so much to consider in these times, for sure. Uh, I, I love the the fact that you guys were, were talking about uh, kind of the future. And, and David, you turn the tables on Larry, and Larry, you handle it like a champ. This is podcast 74, Eric, so That's I'm right. a little used to it. <laughs> you are the pro, for sure. I Again, thought I could stump him, but I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, no, it, no, that's that's a tough one. I've tried for a long time, and Larry is, Larry's a pro. All right, you guys, thank you so much for your time today. And, of course, the last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Larry comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This also makes it really easy to share this podcast with your friends and family. And this is one that you may know somebody that needs to hear this information. Please share it with them and it'll, it'll be timely and it'll help them out tremendously. Again, thank you for listening today. For everyone at Heller Wealth Management, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time.